Hey, turn to the person next to you, just smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. Just <laughs> tell them. Now, I do that everywhere I go because hopefully you're sitting next to your wife or your husband. And if you're not, hopefully you're sitting next to someone you wish was your wife or your husband. And if you're not and you're single, I'll have Pastor Norm do it again next week, so scope it out and sit in a good spot. Just trying to help you out. Thank you for coming to church and making God a priority in your life. I believe because you have honored God and placed him at the highest level of priority on this holiday weekend, he will pour out his blessing on you and his favor, and your work week will be so much better because you've honored God. If you believe that, I want you to just clap your hands and give him praise. Amen. Amen. I'm going to speak to you for a short time. I told those at camp that uh, that's what Elizabeth Taylor said. She said, I, I won't hold you long. Well, she said that to husband number six. But, <laughs> but I know that we have so much to, uh, family time to, to get to. And I want you to get your Bible and turn it on. And um, Well, you are turning it on. And turn to Genesis, the 12th chapter, the first through the third verse. I want to speak to you on America can be saved, revival, then awakening. Revival, then awakening. And we want to look at how God's character and love for his children are revealed through his interactions with his people, starting with Abram, then leading to us. That we have a loving Heavenly Father that longs to have interaction, that longs to have relationship with each one of us. Genesis chapter 12, starting at 1 through 3. For the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. What an awesome promise. Now, God is speaking to Abram, soon to be called Abraham. However, please understand that Romans chapter 2 and verse 11 and Acts 10 and 34 tell us that God is no respecter of persons, that what he's promised for one, he has promised for all. In other words, we can apply this promise not only to ourselves, but to our nation today. There is no doubt that God has made America great. That's not a political slogan that wasn't created by a man from New York City, that's not a Republican, Democrat, independent Tea Party statement. That is a scriptural ideology. God has made this nation great. And it's not because of our talent. It's not because of our ingenuity. It's not even because of our war or our economy or war machine, our military, our economy. It's because we as a nation, when we were founded, we said we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe it's the power of God unto salvation. And because of that, we have been the seed of Christianity to the world for the last 250 years. But on top of that, we became a friend of Israel. And the Bible explicitly teaches those who stand with Israel, God will bless. And those who come against Israel, God will curse. And so since we are a friend of Israel, God is blessing this nation. And I believe based on the nature, grace, and mercy of God, there is reason for hope in our nation. I believe we have hope as the body of Christ to chart a course of faith-filled action. Friends, I'm not a doomsday prophet. Over the years, my faith has been stirred and my conviction steeled. I believe America can be saved. 
simply because the church is still alive and well, simply because the Holy Spirit is still here in our midst. He's hovering over our babies. He's influencing our children. Because the Holy Spirit is alive and well, America still has a hope. If you believe that, someone shout amen. Amen. Now, those words have repeatedly come to my ears and my heart, not only in my personal time of prayer, but confirmed by the Holy Spirit as I gathered in the altars with four to 500 people on a Sunday night several months ago in a very large church called Discover Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It also, the Holy Spirit spoke it to my heart this last week in family camp as people just came to the altars and waited in the presence of the Lord. Friday night, we had an anointing service there at the camp. And to see those teenagers and those young people starving for a move of God, it was a confirmation from the Holy Spirit, a clarion call to rally the church in conferences and in local congregations and communities to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the next generation. Would you say that with me? Pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the next generation. Say it again. Pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the next generation. Friends, you hear me. The Bible explicitly teaches, if the living church will rise to be the church that God intends her to be, America can be turned around. Let me personalize it. If this church will continue to rise to be the church God intends you to be. You could have a major impact in Gaylord and the surrounding area, and things can turn around simply by you being the church. And I see what's happening politically, and yes, I see what's happening morally. I see the confusion, the doubt, and the fear in the eyes and the hearts of the people. And yet, (laughs) and yet, though this nation is seriously imperiled, the future of America is salvageable. There is no generation so far gone that my God cannot touch. There is no disease so great that my God cannot heal. There is no family so destroyed that the Holy Spirit cannot mend them and put them back together. Oh, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. And the Bible reveals that God's children, that's you and I, can turn things around for our cities and our nation. Praying believers who are led by pastors, who are impassioned by faith, they are the key to your city and your nation's rescue. Friends, that's not mere nationalistic uh, small talk or patriotic excitement on a holiday season, though I do love my country. It is more than that, for today I am on a prophetic assignment. See, our influence as children of the living God by our prayers holds the potential to determine our nation's destiny. How you pray determines what kind of life you lead. You pray small, ordinary prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary life. Hear it again. You pray small, ordinary prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary get-by life. If your prayers are basically, Lord, can you just help me make it through the month? Can you help me pay the bills? That's a good prayer. It's a nice prayer, but it's an average prayer, and average prayers bring average results. You should be praying a prayer that is so far beyond who you are. You should be praying a prayer that cannot be fulfilled by man. It will take the sea walker and the blind healer to step in to your human situation. 
A God-sized prayer would be, Lord, not only do I want you to help me get by this week and this month, but Lord, as I am faithful in my tithe and in my offering, would you pour out favor and blessing onto me that I can not only pay off my house, but I could pay off my mother's house, and I could pay off my auntie's house, and then I could pay for missions so that the ministry of our church, the sun will never set on the ministry that we have all around the world. For we are the children of the living God, and we're believing for miracles. Well, if you really believe it, I want you to clap your hands and praise him. It's time to pray God-sized prayers. God-sized prayers. A God-sized prayer is amazing. An ordinary prayer is, Lord, could you just help my kids make better choices? Well, that's a good prayer. It's an average prayer. Average prayer brings average results. I've got four kids. They're wonderful. My son Christian is 32. My son Morgan is 31. My son Quentin is 27. He just gave me my first grandson, he and his wife Marissa, and I love it. And my daughter's 25 years old, and they've all graduated from college with master's degrees, and they're wonderful. But sometimes they just, well, they bug me <laughs> because of the choices they make. How many, amen? How many have kids? They're great, they're wonderful, but they're knuckleheads. And, you know, so uh, when my son Quentin, he was at the University of Arkansas, he's in his junior year, and he calls me one night, it's a, it's a, it's a Saturday night, and he goes, hey, Dad, we got a problem. I said, we got a problem? He goes, yeah, yeah, we got a problem. I said, well, no, no, we don't have a problem. You might have a problem, but we don't have a problem. He goes, no, Dale, we got a problem. I said, what is the problem? He said, well, I lost the keys to my truck. Again, we don't have a problem. You got a problem. Now, he's at the University of Arkansas. He's two and a half hours away from Springfield, Missouri, where we live. And he goes, no, Dale, we got a problem. I said, listen, son. You know, it's time to grow up. You're a junior in college. You got the problem, not me. He goes, no, Dad, you don't understand. I parked my truck in a place where it's not supposed to be. I said, I'm telling you, bro, we don't got a problem. <laughs> and my wife, is, she's sitting next to me. Carly and I will celebrate 35 years of, ma of marriage. And she's laying next to me, and she's cracking up. I found out later why she was cracking up. And I said, Quentin, listen, you better go get, you know, Dad, they're going to they're gonna charge me and this and that. I cut them off. I said, son, listen, you better go get some more hours at that place that you waiter, that little Italian restaurant. I don't got a problem. You got a problem. He goes, Dad, listen, we got a problem. I said, Quentin, we don't have, we're going back and forth. Finally, he said, Dad, they told me if I don't pay the bill, it's going on my school bill. We now have a problem. <laughs> and he said, I've been trying to tell you. Then he hits me with this. But don't worry, mom and I has got it worked out. Now I know why she's laughing. And I looked over at her, and she's, she's literally just tears rolling laughing. And he said, Dad, mom said you're preaching in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now listen, Springfield, Missouri is about two and a half, three hours from Tulsa down I-44. And I was planning on getting up really early in the morning and sleeping in my own bed for once and driving to the church. Mom said that you can drive, get up really, really early and drive the two and a half hours to Fayetteville, drop off the keys, and then drive the additional two and a half hours to Tulsa and go preach. I looked at her and said, really, babe? Really? So there I was early in the morning bringing the extra set of keys to my knuckleheaded son. And I'm driving down the highway, and, and I'm just worshiping the Lord. And I said, Lord, can you help my son make better choices? And the Holy Spirit whispered, mijo. 
Because like I told him at camp, the Holy Spirit's Puerto Rican. Oh, you'll find out when you get to heaven. He said, is that all you want? Do you only want me to help your son make better choices? And I said, well, no, Lord. Well, what do you really want? Well, Lord, I, I, want them to I want all of my kids to fulfill Acts, the second chapter, that says your sons and daughters shall prophesy. I, I want them to be more of a threat to hell than hell is a threat to them. I, I want them to rise up under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want them to have godly children, and, and I want them to have a godly heritage. And I'm just going on, and, and tears are coming, and I'm, and I'm praying, and I'm driving. And, and when I finish, the Holy Spirit said, then pray that way all the time. God-sized prayers. Holds the potential to determine your nation's and your children's destiny. How you pray determines the kind of life you lead. You pray small, ordinary, get-by prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary, get-by life. You have a church that prays small, ordinary, get-by prayers, Lord, can you just help us pay the bills? You're going to have a church that has the average church life. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of average church services. You know, my kids, I, I love them with all my heart, and, and uh, every morning I hug them because they're still living in my house. It's the truth, a blessing I did not ask for. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, they'll say, hey, Dad, let's have a movie night. And they pick the movie. And usually it's one of two movies, either Elf or Mrs. Doubtfire. It doesn't matter if it's not even Christmas. It's either Elf or Mrs. Doubtfire. We love Elf. Most of the time, you're not even really paying attention. Uh, you know, I've got my, my uh, celery and my dip and stuff, and I'm just, I'm happy. I'm set. I'm good. And you're waiting for your favorite scene to come up in the movie because you know it so well. For me, on Elf, is when he says, you're not Santa. You smell like beef and cheese. I love that. You sit on a throne of lies. And, and, and we all just die laughing because everybody, you know, uh, knows it so well. And I'm so comfortable. I got my wife. I got the kids. I got the atmosphere. I got my snacks. Everything is so good. I don't mean to, but I fall asleep. I really do. I I'm just so comfortable, I fall asleep. And the kids will shake me, and they'll say, hey, Dad, you, you know, wake up. You're snoring. And I'll say, no, I wasn't. I was resting my eyes. And they say, no, Dad, you're snoring. And most of the time, I didn't even realize I fell asleep. And I know you do the same thing because she just tapped your leg. Yeah. <laughs> Friends, revival can be described as waking up from a state of sleep. We don't even realize we were asleep because we've grown so comfortable with our walk with God. It's what I call the conformity that is bred from familiarity. We're so comfortable, we feel safe, we, we grow comfortable with our church, and we love the, the praise and worship and the lights and the sound. We know exactly how everything is going to happen, and we got all our people, and it is wonderful, man, and our, and our pastor's voice, it sounds so soothing. And good old Norm will come up, and he just, oh, he's so, oh, he's so soothing that you don't even realize, like she said, he's so cute that you don't even realize that you fall spiritually asleep. And then there are times like today where the Holy Spirit comes along and he says, hey, you're snoring. There's a revival 
sweeping across the nation, and you're missing it. A revival is when God's people come back to life again, while an awakening is when a nation comes alive and sees its need for God and turns to God. The church needs a revival. America needs an awakening. Thomas Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Well, the question that arises, all right, pastor, then where do we turn? Well, first place we turn for direction is God's word. And we take the promises in the Bible. Not only can we trust God's promises, there are clear steps that we could take as a church and as individuals if we really want to see God work in Gaylord, Michigan. If we really want to see God work in our nation. Today I want to lay out several steps for you that God has laid out in Scripture based on the character and the very nature of a loving Heavenly Father and how He is willing to interact with His children. It's that interaction that brings hope and deliverance to every single one of us. Well, step number one, we are to believe the promise. For God lays out his desire for interaction with his children. And the first step is to be caught by the, in the grip of God's Second Chronicles 7.14 promise. We, we all know this scripture so well. We have literally put it on, on bumper stickers and t-shirts. We've marketed it. We know it by, ver, by memory. You could say it verbatim. Well, let's say it together. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now here is the portion of the promise that we have seemed to miss. For we all say that verse, but we don't say the rest. For God goes on to say, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. The word place is a fascinating term. In this place, speaking of your home or the place of your life, friends, we have to get beyond or go beyond merely quoting this verse in some superstitious or sentimental manner, thinking that if we change our tone of voice and sound pious, that somehow it'll spark new life because the reality goes far deeper than a pious tone. He says, I am listening for the prayers made in this place. Again, that word place is an amazing word. Theologians call it the law of first mention. When you read something in the Bible and then you come across it a second time and a third time, that's called the law of first mention. And so you write it down in the flyleaf of your Bible or in the margin. There are two major places where the Lord says, take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Well, the first, it was to Moses. He's sitting at a, in front of a burning bush 40 years on the backside of the desert. 40 years of wandering, 40 years of hurt and pain, 40 years of woundings, 40 years of thinking God will never use him again. And finally now, 40 years later, after all the wandering, after all the hurt, after all the pain, the Lord says to him, I'm going to use you now. Moses, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, please understand that God is an amazing God. He is not only omnipotent, but he's omniscient, means all-knowing. He can be all places at once. So wherever he is, that place is going to be holy. So we're not just speaking about a two-by-four piece of real estate. We're talking about a place of reception and ready to listen. 
After 40 years of pain, after 40 years of hurt, after 40 years of struggle, Moses is at a place in his life of reception and ready to listen. He's ready to hear from God. He needs direction. And God's going to use him to deliver 2.5 million Jews, roughly the size of the state of Rhode Island. He's bringing them out of bondage, and he's using Moses, the murderer, Moses, the man on the run which should tell us that your wounds that you go through in life. See, the devil will tell you God can't use you. You have too many wounds. you got too many hurts. God can't move in America. There are too many broken things. It can't happen. But God uses the wounds of your life to speak to a hurting generation. He takes the wounded, broken vessel to speak to a generation. And he says, Moses, the place that you are standing right now, of reception and ready to listen. Interesting that he says the same thing to Joshua. Joshua, take off your sandals for the place you are standing as well. Well, what place is that? Joshua is the son of Nun. His father was a stone cutter. He's got to follow the greatest prophet in the history of the nation of Israel. He has got to fulfill the promise that Moses could not fulfill. He's got to bring them across the Jordan into the promised land. And he says, the place that you're standing. Both men are at a place of reception and ready to listen. On this 4th of July weekend, are you at a place in your life of reception and ready to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are you ready for fresh direction? I'm calling each and every one of us to join with other believers across the country and around the world in prayer and make it a point of a corporate covenant with God to make a solemn agreement with God that we will do our part right here in Gaylord. Not just tossing up a memorized rope prayer, not just for a series of nights, but something that we cannot put a time frame on, dedicating ourselves to really seeing breakthrough, truly seeking God's face, and praying with God. Prayer. Now, that's another interesting statement, praying with prayer, because the Jewish custom, when they talked about prayer, they would say, he prayed his prayers. Well, that'd be like a memorized rope prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord if I should die before I I pray the Lord my you see, there was not much thinking about it. You didn't think about a blood atonement. You didn't think about sanctification. You didn't think about how you've been justified by faith. You didn't think about how your salvation has been brought. No, you just tossed it up there. But then they would say he prayed with prayer. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. Like Joshua in the valley of Gibeah, he's chasing the Amorite kings through the valley, and he looks up and he says, Father, we cannot allow the enemies to go and get away. No, no, I need, another, I need some more time to pray with prayer. Like David, as he's coming against Goliath, you come against me with a sword. I come against you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel. When is the last time you prayed with prayer, with desperation, with a hunger for God that says we need to have God-sized movings in our midst? Because we are convinced God will do his part in, our, in redemptive grace if we are willing to do our part. Right now, there's a prayer revival sweeping across America and is specifically targeting Generation Z. The ones born between 1996 and the year 2013. They are the ages of 10 years to 26 years old. Asbury University in central Kentucky, they are estimating that 70,000 people have gone to that school, that Methodist school that's on fire now with the Holy Spirit. 
70,000 people. They had to move it off of campus. Sanford University, I have spoken there. Lee University, I spoke there. Cedarville University, as well as college campuses in Ohio, Louisiana, and Texas. They are all reporting, experiencing a divine move of God's Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost is hitting Generation Z. And you, you might be wondering, well, why is the college campus the epicenter for a prayer revival? <laughs> well, it's fairly, fairly predictable why. Research from the American Medical Association indicates that Gen Z is currently the most stressed out demographic in American history. Ages 10 years old to 26 years old. The biggest mental health issue they face is anxiety. Nine out of 10 Gen Zers who have been diagnosed with mental health conditions struggle with anxiety. And nearly eight out of 10 are battling depression, feelings of hopelessness, and suicide. Just Friday night, a little 14-year-old girl came walking down the aisle at camp, tears in her eyes as we were speaking on the anointing. And she laid there in the altar, and her 15-year-old sister came behind her, and she looked at me, and she said, Pastor, I'm from Arizona, and I don't want to go home. I've never experienced the love of God like I'm experiencing here at this camp. It's amazing, because this generation is growing up alongside an increase in violence, sexual harassment, massive global uncertainty, the transgender confusion. L let me kind of explain to you the transgender confusion. You see, there's enough of the nature of God, even in fallen man, that causes the devil to go into a rage. In the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came together and they said, let us make man in our image. In his image, they made male and female. There are only two genders. There are only two. But Satan, the adversary of your soul, has the ability to create a train of thought, young man, that so fits your way of thinking, you suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning, and Satan begins to create that train of thought to bring confusion, to bring doubt, to bring worry. Why? He's trying to tear down the image of God. And what better way to tear down the image of God in male and female than it is to cause a generation to question who I really am? But understand that Satan has not changed his spots for 2,000 years. It's the exact same tactic he used for Eve in the Garden of Eden. And there's enough of the nature of God that drives him crazy. No young lady, understand God selects your hair color. God selects your eye color. God selects your gender. It's amazing how this whole culture is so confused but the Bible tells us in the last days this will be. Now add the active shooter incidents in our nation has more than triples since the year 2000. The active shooter incidents is where four or more people are murdered in one place. We, see, we saw it in Nashville, Tennessee at the Christian school. Alabama. And I just got an alert early this morning that we had another one in Ohio. Now add the increasing worry over our finances. There are banks that are failing. Now add the 
24-hour-a-day news cycle and social media, the effects of the COVID shutdown, the war in Ukraine, and the failed coup in Russia. We really don't know what's going to happen with Vladimir Putin. We don't know what's going to happen with those mercenaries that are coming up. China is watching. The whole world is topsy-turvy. Good is now bad. Bad is now good. Is it any wonder that the Holy Spirit is moving in an extraordinary way upon this young generation? He loves them more than we possibly can imagine. And on college campuses across America, they're reporting literally 24-hour-a-day prayer, prayer meetings around the clock with only one emphasis. The emphasis is not on the smoke and the lasers. The emphasis is not on the videos or the coffee bars. The emphasis is on the presence and the power of the risen Savior. They're longing for more of Jesus. <laughs> Friends, listen to me. America needs the church to have a revival. Gaylord needs you to have a revival. Not just because our culture is broken, but because Americans need to know how much God really loves them. In fact, I believe it is because Americans do not truly know how much God loves them that our culture is broken. By contrast, the common experience being shared from the Asbury Revival and all these college campuses is a deep sense of God's loving presence as he draws people to himself. Like that young 14-year-old girl looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, Pastor, I've never experienced the love of God like I'm experiencing right now. Her sister looked at me, and she said, what's this burning in my chest? Why does my chest feel like it's burning when I walk into this chapel? I said, well, you're not the only one. There were two guys that walked with Jesus on a road, and when he left them, they said, doesn't our chest burn within us? That's the presence of the love of God. Is that your heart's prayer? That out of this church, the culture and the generation would sense the greatest love that they've ever experienced by the power of God? Lord, pour out your presence and your love in this church. And if you're not willing to give your all to prayer, are you willing to be made willing this morning? Second, we are to bless our enemies. As the church faces certain distressing aspects of American behavior taking place culturally and politically, and as we're heading into a 2024, into a election cycle, you're going to hear more and more things about this. Certain distressing aspects of America's behavior taking place with a woke culture. The Budweiser and Target, and it goes on and on. The woke ideology has caused some Christians to become fueled by anger at a certain political party, while pulpit thumpers are inciting many believers to anger. And the national media on the right and on the left pushes its own agenda, soaking the fires of division and social divide. But Jesus is calling us to be an answer to our nation, not to be angry with our nation. That doesn't mean we agree with the woke agenda. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Let me make one fact very, very clear. We can never pray effectively for either an individual or a nation that we do not love. And we can never pray successfully for society, for your family, for your prodigal, if we, aren't fi if we are filled with anger towards them. It's the love of God poured out through his church that will cause people to see Jesus in us. 
Friends, Romans 2 tells us it's God's loving kindness that brings us to repentance. We love because he first loved us. When I say that, I'm reminded of my grandmother. She would walk through our house, and uh, Grandpa was dying of emphysema, and they brought him home, hospice brought him home. They wheeled in a hospital bed, and Grandma would walk around the house, and she would sing all the old hymns of the church, and she had a little bun. I I told him in camp, remember when we used to wear buns, and we were all in bondage? (laughs) And she would sing in Spanish, and then in English, and then a heavenly language to my grandmother, you know, Spanish was a heavenly language. And she never finished the song, though, because she'd get hit by the Holy Ghost, and she would just, you know, woo, like that little bun would hang down beside her head. <laughs> Look like a slinky, you know, beside her head. And she'd walk through the house, and she would sing. And there was a certain song that she sang that I'll never forget. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise, for it was grace that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. And then she'd go, whoo. Why he looked beyond my fault and saw my need. I shall forever lift my eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that poured my falling soul. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. Hallelujah. And then she would lift her hands and sing, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can feel the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. In the midst of his children, the Lord said he would be. It doesn't take very many. It can be just two or three. And I feel that same sweet spirit. That I felt oft times before, surely we can say <laughs> that we've been with the Lord. Come on, would you help me? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can't 
and his grace. I can feel the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. You see, it's the love of God. It's His kindness and patience. And God is a God of kindness and patience, and His kindness is what brings us to repentance. And today, God wants us to experience His genuine mercy, but in the same way as we receive it, we need to extend it to others. In the same manner that Jesus extends grace and mercy to you. That doesn't mean we accept the woke ideology. It doesn't mean that we accept a lifestyle, but we pray for those that are lost. We show them the love of God. Which brings up the next step, we must value life. Proverbs 31 and 8 tells us that we are to open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Friends, publicly addressing the issue of abortion and euthanasia is not a digression from spiritual concerns. Standing up for biblical truth is not hate speech. Do you agree with me that we are at a crisis point in our national experience? about whether future generations will value life at its inception or value life at its conclusion or just value life, period. The soaring murder rate in our cities. There are entire sections of Portland, Oregon right now, I've been there, that are completely fenced off to the public because of the murder rate that is there. The recent heinous acts of mass murder in Idaho where those four college students were murdered and slaughtered in their beds as they slept. Or the five Memphis police officers who were charged with second-degree murder for the death of Tyree Nichol, a 29-year-old man, after a traffic stop that escalated into what the authorities have described as a display of staggering brutality. Do you agree with me that we are at a crisis point in our national experience about whether future generations will value life at its inception and value life at its conclusion or, again, just value life, period? But hear it again. Any self-righteous moralizing by Christians will only distance us from our society. Instead, many, instead, our hearts must be broken by the realization that the underlying cause of the devaluation of life, whether it's abortion or euthanasia or whether it's the brutality in our nation's streets, is the result of the emptiness of a society that's lost hope for tomorrow. If there's no hope for tomorrow... Why prize life today? That's what these kids are dealing with on the high school, junior high school, and college campuses. If there's no hope for tomorrow, why prize life today? Whether that life begin, is just beginning or whether that life is in the twilight years, if you've lost hope, if you've been hollowed out by life, why even prize marriage? If all you have seen is brokenness and hurt in marriage, why even prize marriage? Why even prize life? Would you agree with me that we must pray for an outpouring of the, hub, of the love of the Heavenly Father to restore hope to the people of America? Number four, we are called to live in purity. The book of Acts Church showed the way to assert moral superiority in a corrupt culture is by living the example, not by taking the role of adversary, 
or shaking our finger at them, looking down our religious nose, or shutting ourselves in a stained glass cocoon of revival spirit, hoarding the blessing every Sunday and enjoying the presence of God but having nothing to do with a needy culture all around us. In 2 Kings, the 7th chapter and the 3rd through the 20th verse, it's an amazing story of four lepers that sat outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And I want you to go home later and I want you to read it because the Syrian army had come against Jerusalem and they were a massive army and so Israel closed themselves inside the city. And Syria, they were going to wait them out. They weren't going to attack, they were going to wait them out. And it got to the point inside the city that they literally were becoming cannibals. They were eating each other. And they're starving to death. And four lepers sat outside the city gate. And one leper looked at the other and he goes, hey, bro, you know what? We're either going to die here or we're going to die over there in that Syrian camp. Maybe if we go over there, they'll have mercy on us. And God turned these four lepers into the most incredible invasion in, in human history. Because four lepers, as they headed toward that massive Syrian army, God sent a roar into that camp. And they heard chariots, and they heard an army that was coming. It was the most hilarious invasion in human history. Four little guys literally dying of leprosy. And the Syrians went running for cover. And when they get there, they found that the Syrians had actually left Fancy clothes they had left in haste. They left money and millions of dollars laying there. They left food on the fire. They left silk and Babylonian silks and garments all laying there. And the lepers walk in and they see what's going on. And the Bible says they started putting on the clothes and they started eating the food. And Man, we having a party. This is amazing. This is awesome. And then one of them looked at the other and said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Something worse will happen to us if we don't go back and tell them that are starving in the city that there's victory here. And the Holy Spirit will take the most practical things to teach you the most amazing truth if you'll listen. And I've got to ask you this morning, (laughs) are you hoarding the blessing Pastor Norm will lay out a banquet from the Word of God, currently teaching out of the book of Daniel. Do you go home and bury the treasure of the Word? Come look at all your blessings and, Lord, thank you for all that. The the rings on my fingers, the clothes on my back, the shoes on my feet. Meanwhile, there's a city that's dying and they need to know that there's victory waiting on them. Philippians 2.14 tells us, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Step number five, we are called to serve the needy. To be in a position to save America, the living church must capture the moment. Please don't limit the term needy only to a certain socioeconomic group. Because the term needy spans every tongue, every race, every creed, every color, and every socioeconomic level. Amid social need and crisis in our communities, winning the trust of those we want to reach with Christ's life begins with showing them his love, which can only come through serving. And you must earn the right to be heard. 
And this is where many Christians check out. They go, oh, no, no, Pastor, no, no, you know, I'll write the check or I'll just pray. However, Jesus said good works create a platform for the gospel. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And we must pray for creative ways to reach this city for Jesus. Listen very carefully. I'm going to try to wipe this down for you. I disagree with the preoccupation so many Christians have with changing our nation through a political agenda alone. I disagree with the preoccupation so many Christians have with changing our nation to a political agenda alone without first laying a foundation in prayer, love, and good works, earning the right to be heard. Because our otherwise worthy goals often become just like clanging sounds to them. 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak with all the language of earth and angels, but I don't have love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. However, with that said, at the same time, the preservation of American freedom does necessitate taking action, and friends, we are to take action. Friday night, I told a story of a young boy named Robbie that changed my ministry. I just come off the road with Carmen Ministries, and I was a staff evangelist at my home church in Los Angeles, California. We were on the corner of Lomita and Avalon in Los Angeles, California. Every right smack on the corner, actually, and every neighborhood behind each one of our buildings was either run by the Sons of Samoa, which is a gang, MS-13, which also called the Insane Mexicans, the Crips or the Bloods. And my pastor came to me, his name was David Godwin, and he, I was leading worship, I was a staff evangelist, I was getting ready to launch our ministry, and he said, Randy, I want you to start a bus ministry to South Central Los Angeles. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, no. I said, Pastor, you got to have skin darker than mine to go to those areas. He said, I know, I'm lily white. That's why I'm sending you. <laughs> and so I announced to our church that we would be teaching on set, that the following Saturday that I'd be teaching on evangelism explosion. We're going to reach our culture. And everybody clapped. Woo! That's awesome. But you see, our church was kind of, they, they were a drive-in church. We weren't reaching the local area. No, they were driving in from the suburbs. We were upper white middle class church, and they all thought that was great. Oh, great, Pastor, praise God. Problem was, when they went home, they had five or six days to think about it. And when the Saturday came for them to come to be trained, nobody showed up. I announced it the next week again, and everybody's cheering and hollering. Again, no one showed up. The elders or the deacons in our church, they wanted to help. We had one, one uh, school bus. It was from the Los Angeles Unified School District. They didn't want it anymore, <laughs> so that tells you the condition. So it had to be painted, so they took it to Earl Scheib. Now, in the hood, Earl Scheib will paint any car for $99.95. That's Earl Scheib. That's his commercial. And when the guys dropped it off, they told him at Earl Scheib, we don't have enough paint to cover the whole bus. Brother Lloyd Waterfield, the treasurer of the church, he said, don't worry about it. Just paint it with whatever you have inside the shop. They said, well, we don't have enough, we don't have enough of one color. Don't worry about it. Just make sure it's painted. It came out like the Partridge family bus. <laughs> it was purple and yellow and green and orange. It had all different colors. And, and one of the guys in the shop had painted little clowns all, all over it with a big red nose. And it said, First Assemblies of God, the happy bus. 
And when they pulled out into the church parking lot, I'm standing there, and I looked at it, and I looked over at our lead pastor. I said, brother, you're going to get me killed in that thing. (laughs) Well, the Saturday came for me to go and hand out flyers, but nobody showed up except for me and Les Davis, the bus driver. So I called the lead pastor, and I said, pastor, no one's here so we're not going. Oh, yo, you're still going. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. I said, David, I'm not going. He goes, Randy, do you want to be paid? Yes, I do. Then you're going. (laughs) That's a bummer, man. So I started walking back out to the happy bus, scared to death. South Central Los Angeles. We had just had the Rodney King riots. And uh, a Volkswagen bus pulled in. 1972 Volkswagen bus, and out of it came four Samoan sisters, the Laulu sisters. I don't know if you know the Samoans, but they are large and in charge Polynesian people, and they're about, they were about this big and about that tall. That was the women, and they weren't wearing any shoes because their feet were about that thick, and they came... They had their ialabalabas on, you know, and they came walking up to me with their ukuleles, and they all got around me, and they said, little pastor, (laughs) which is always very encouraging, little pastor, (laughs) don't worry, we will take care of you. We would have been here earlier, but we've been praying and fasting. Talking about earning the right to be heard. So I put one Laulu sister here, one right here, one right here, and one right here. And there I went, the mighty man of God, (laughs) which, by the way, is a joke. There's no such thing as mighty men of God, only men that serve a mighty God. But there we went, down Martin Luther King Avenue, South Central Los Angeles, and they were singing. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. They were playing their ukuleles and they're singing in Samoan. And, and there I was right in the middle of them handing out flyers. I wasn't about to move either. I was like this, like this, under their arms. <laughs> Sunday morning, I was not expecting anybody to be at the corner. But to my amazement, as we pulled into this tenement housing neighborhood, you could see for blocks and blocks and blocks, they started all coming to the corner. Now the deacons, like I said, they not only painted our bus, but they also cleaned it on the inside and they put those little uh, green air freshener trees, the pine saw, the Lysol, the whole saw family. <laughs> and it was that strong, you know, odor of Clorox and pine saw. But when the folks got on the bus, it went smelling like pine saw and Clorox to body odor and alcohol, tobacco and feces. It smelled like a barnyard. And they were acting like a barnyard. And I opened the door of the bus and I told Les, man, it stinks in here, bro. And I literally was was trying to lean out the door to get some air. And I said, Lord, it stinks in here. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, that's what you smelled like before you got right. Not me, God. No, no, no. And he said, I know uh, you smell worse because you knew better. You grew up in church. I said, Lord, 
He said, Randy, you're, what you're smelling is death coming back to life. We were earning the right to be heard. Standing on the corner was a little boy, probably six years old. He had baggy basketball shorts on. His shoes were untied. He had a t Michael Jordan tank top on and an afro that was so impressive. He was so cute. He looked at me, and I looked at him. He looked at me, and I looked at him, and he goes, hi, who are you? I said, I'm Pastor Randy. Who are you? My name is Robbie, and I just need to know one thing. Does Jesus love my daddy? I said, yeah, Jesus loves your daddy. He said, you better be sure. Oh, I'm sure. Can I go to church? He was holding a flyer in his hand. I said, yeah, baby, come on. And when you know it, the only place for him to sit was to throw one leg over one Laulu sister, one leg over the other. He sat on that front row. He bounced all the way to church, and they were singing, we bring the sacrifice of praise. When I gave the altar call, to my amazement, they all stood and they ran to the altar. I told them at camp, and if you've heard the story at camp, please forgive me for repeating it, but uh, I had a lady in our church that I nicknamed her Sister Dumbbell. And her husband was Brother Sounding Brass. Now, I never said it to their face. I always said it in staff meeting. And the reason I gave them that nickname is because she was so angry that I was bringing those people into our church. We had just redecorated, she said. They're going to cause the place to smell. And she was so upset. She fought me every step of the way. And she was the head of the women's ministries. And so we had a bifold door that separated the sanctuary from the women's ministries room. And when they all came to the altar, God forgive me, when they all came to the altar, I said, okay, take them into the women's ministry room. I did. And I watched her stand up. And she started to walk across, and we had stairs that came into the sanctuary. And they all started walking away, and I saw her coming, and I thought to myself, if that crazy old bird comes down and causes a problem, I'm going to knock her out and pray for her later. I was in the flesh. And then I noticed that Robbie was the only one that was still in the altar. We had these olive-colored wooden altars in our church. And he was hitting the wood, and he was saying, Jesus, will you save my daddy? The anointing makes the difference. I watched this dear saint now walk over to him, put her arms around him, and start kissing his forehead. And 700 upper-middle-class white people went into an all-out revival. They lifted their hands and began to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we began to earn the right to be heard. The next week, I went to pick him up, and his arm was in a sling. His face was battered and beaten. The next week, I went again to pick him up, and his face was still battered and beaten. I had a little boy on the bus. I used to give out nicknames, but I had a little boy on the bus that I nicknamed 411. And the reason I called him 411, because in Los Angeles, you dial 411 to get information. And this kid had all the info. He'd say, hey, pastor. I'd say, yeah, what's going on? And he goes, see over there on that white building? And the gangs would just write all over it. And he says, see, Popeye crossed out Jumper and Romeo, and this one was calling out that one. And then he said, and over there is where all the hoes hang out. I said, shh. He goes, that's what they are. He couldn't have been more than seven years old. 
And over there at that house, you could buy your crack, and you can buy your wet, and you can buy your heroin. And he had all, and my heart broke when I realized he, he knows too much for a baby. He grabbed my shirt, and he said, Pastor. I said, what? He said, see that really big guy? Because I could see Robbie standing on the corner. He had his arm in a sling. His face was beaten. And he goes, see that really big man coming out of that building over there? And this guy, he looked like the Hulk. He was huge. I said, yeah, I see him. And he was walking down the street towards where Robbie was standing. He said, Pastor, that's Robbie's daddy. And he don't like you. And he's going to hurt you. He said, do you want to know why Robbie's so beat up? I said, yeah. Well, his bedroom wall is my living room wall. They live right around the block. We share a wall, he said. And his daddy beats him up every Saturday night because he goes to your church. The anointing makes the difference. The anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit, and it energizes you. It gives you strength to fulfill the call of God on your life. If you're sitting there saying, well, Randy, I'm already past my prime. I don't have the strength. The anointing makes the difference. Well, I don't have the, the anointing makes the difference. Well, I don't have the ability. The anointing makes the difference. He came and stood. He was coming down the street towards Rob, and the place was just shouting and screaming. The bus was rocking. And I told Les, the bus driver, I said, okay, brother, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it in first gear. I'm going to put my arm through the, bus door, through the rail of the bus. I'm going to hang out. When you get close to Robbie, I'm going to pull him in. And then you shift it into gear and take off before that crazy guy gets to the corner. When the bus found out what I was doing, they started going, go pastor, go pastor, go pastor. And it was rocking. The place was just rocking. And the Laulu sister, we bring the sacrifice. And it still smelled like a barnyard. And I'm hanging out the bus door, and I'm just about to grab Rob, and he's got his arm in his sling, and he goes like this. And the bus goes by. And Les stops the bus. And I looked at him and said, what are you doing? And listen, he goes just like this. Get out, mighty man of God. I said, brother, you got the wrong Puerto Rican. I am the least of my tribe. About that time, Robbie walks up. He's got his dad right behind him. And he's kind of out of breath. He's got his arm in his sling. His lip is busted. His eyes. And he goes, Pastor, I've been trying to get your attention. Does Jesus love my daddy? And I got to be honest. Every fiber of my being wanted to say, no way. When I knew what he was doing to that kid. But something rises up in your heart, a revelation, so it seems, and it'll shoot right through the spirit like a, like a laser beam. I said, son, not only does he love your daddy, but if he was the only man left on planet Earth, he would have died for him. Great. Can he go to church? And wouldn't you know it, I love this, the only place for him to sit <laughs> The Laulu sisters stood up, and they stood in the aisle, and they let him slide in, and they stood behind him, and they stood on the side of him, and they sang in his ear the whole way to church, we bring the sacrifice of praise. 
The only way a nation can be saved is if souls are saved. The only way the liberal woke culture is going to change is when they are saved, born again. When I gave the altar call that day, Robbie was standing in the center aisle. He, he got in the center aisle. And we had this balcony, you know, and so we had these pillars that held up the balcony. And he's sitting in the center of the aisle with these two doors, and he goes like this. Hey! Hey! Like I couldn't see him, right? Hey! I said, shh. Pastor, does Jesus love my daddy? 700 people were short. I said, yeah, Jesus loves your daddy. He gives me a thumbs up with his good hand. Walked down about four rows. His dad was sitting in the back. He cut into the aisle. Found out later he was stepping on feet and knocking over purses. And he was on a mission. He grabbed his daddy, and I could see his little body pulling, pulling, pulling. That man stood up and walked over to me, so I got as high on the platform as I possibly could so I could look him in his chest. <laughs> you think I'm joking? And he looked right at me, and what he said changed my ministry forever. Remember, the anointing makes the difference. <laughs> Remember, we earn the right to be heard. And he said, preacher, can Jesus love a man like me? He said, before you answer my question, he said, look at my hands. And they were scarred and beaten. He said, I've killed people with these hands. I beat my son every Saturday night because he comes to your church. He said, I prostitute my wife out on Pacific Coast Highway in Western Avenue here in Los Angeles. I have three sons in Terminal Island Prison. That's the prison in the harbor of Los Angeles, California that they're carrying my drugs, and they're more afraid of me than doing the time. I said, Sarah, I'm going to tell you what I told your son. If you're the only man left on planet Earth, Jesus would have come, died on the cross, rose again on the third day just for you. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've hurt, the blood of Jesus will change everyone. He looked right at me, fighting back the tears, and he said, okay, preacher, but I don't want the Jesus that these folks have. He said, I don't want the stained glass Jesus. I've tried that Jesus, and it hasn't worked. He said, I want the Jesus he has, because I couldn't beat it out of him. I couldn't shake it out of him. I couldn't scare it out of him. Whatever it is he has, I need it. I want it. I got to have it right now. That's the Jesus that the Holy Spirit is asking this church to carry to Gaylord. No matter your color, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your social background, no matter who you think you are, each one of us are called to carry the anointing and earn the right to be heard. If America is going to be saved, we got to win the lost. He gave his life to Christ that day, and to my amazement, Sister Minnie Eckling, she was, that's her real name. I used to call her Sister Dumbbell, but 
It went back to Sister Minnie Eklund. She stood in the, alt, in the top. She came all the way around, and I watched her come around. And that man standing there with his hands lifted, tears flowing, accepted Christ. She put her arms around his waist, and the moment she did, his knees started to buckle. And he went straight to the ground, brought to his knees by love. It's your, the loving kindness of Jesus that will change a generation. He reaches over for his son, who the night before he reached over with that hand to beat him. But today he reached over and started kissing him. Several months went by, I didn't see Rob anymore, and I'll never forget the day that Senator doors opened in our church, and there was Robbie with his mom in one hand and his dad in the other. And they were going for several months to the corner of Pacific Coast Highway in Western in Los Angeles, California. And every time she came out to prostitute, at first she was scared, but they told her, you don't have to do this. Jesus loves you, and so do we. I want the musicians to come quickly, all the musicians, just very quickly. I told you that story because it also makes it clear to us that our gospel be more readily received and believed if we've done everything we can to love a culture back to Jesus. And again, that doesn't mean we accept their lifestyle. I am persuaded we're at a glorious crossroads in this church right now. Let's band together around the promise of a sovereign habitation of the Holy Spirit. And how many would raise your hand and say, Randy, I don't want there to be just a visitation of God. I want a habitation of the Holy Spirit. I want him to come and stay. If that's you, I want you to stand right now with your hand lifted and lift the other hand and begin to welcome right now the Holy Spirit into this room. Because if we will respond to his love by loving him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, allowing his love to flow through us as a conduit of God's presence, your neighbor will learn that God is loved by experiencing God's love in you. And with your hands lifted, I want you to begin to tell him right now, Holy Spirit, use me. Use me. I'm inviting you to begin to pray, then take the message out to your city. Lord, on this holiday weekend, when we thank you for pouring blessings out upon America, Lord, may it begin right here. May a revival begin right here. May it flow out of this place like rivers of living water. Then flow out of the to rivers of living water to all the dry places. I want you to ask him for it right now. Play softly, brother. I want you to believe the promise. Lord, bless our enemies through us. That we would value life, that we're called to live a life of purity. We're called to serve the needy. I'm going to ask you to do something outside the ordinary, and I'm going to ask you right now to open your mouth and audibly welcome the Holy Spirit into your church. You say, well, Randy, he's always here. Yes, but tonight, today is different. For there's a, an anointing of the Holy Spirit that's about to call you to another level. And right now, all over the room, call your children by name. Call your grandchildren by name. That, Lord, that we would dispense and declare and demonstrate the love of Jesus. Lord, give us words of comfort, of exhortation, of sensitive counsel. Oh, come on, church, don't make the Holy Spirit beg. I want you to open your mouth and begin to pray it right now.
That's it. That's it. Don't stop. Don't stop. That's it. That's it. Don't stop. I'm calling you out to be different. I'm calling. Maybe you're here and you've never. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're sensing the love of God that's being poured out. And people's tears are just flowing. And you're saying, I don't understand this. And you're like those young ladies Friday night at camp. You're saying, why is my chest burning with inside of me? That's the presence of God burning in your life. At the count of three, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and say, if you want to go forward and pray for revival, if you want to go forward and pray that God begin to do miracles in our church, I'll go with you so you don't have to go alone. Because that's really what we're all about. Once you say yes to Christ, you become a part of the body of Christ, you're never alone again. And I don't want you to feel like you're the only one moving. So at the count of three, each one of us, we're going to take that step of faith towards the altar. Husbands, grab your wife by the hand. Wives, grab your children. If you really mean business with God, if my people who are called by my name, for he says, I am listening for prayers made in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way. I've done what you've asked me to do to the best of my ability. Oh, come on, praise him, church. Praise him. I need prayer counselors here. At the count of three, you come. They're coming already. One, two, three. Just come right now. Right now. Come here, brother. I want you to come right here. And I want you to lead him to Jesus. Just lead, just you, you come around and you lead him to Jesus. Talk to him. I want you to push in as much as you can. That's it. Come on. Do something out of the ordinary. Don't miss a miracle from God because you don't want to move because you're self-conscious. No, get rid of the self-consciousness and say, Lord, I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. Lead us to something, brother. Sing it right now. Come on, let's lift our hands and praise it. Praise it. For you, yes, I will, Lord. Pray on, church, pray on. Do whatever you want to. I will make room for you. Jesus, I need you, Lord. To do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to. save our nation, Lord. I will make room for you. Because I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Can you bend down to lay hands right here? Do whatever you want to. Breathe on us, Lord. We love you, Lord. Father, today we pray for America. Lord, we pray for our leadership. We pray for the president and the vice president, Lord. doesn't tell us to only pray for the Republican or the Democrat. Yes. It says to pray for whoever is in leadership. 
So we pray right now in the name of Jesus. I want you to begin to intercede for America right now. I want you to begin to intercede for your nation. Yes, God. Intercede for your city. Shake up the ground of all my traditions. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. So shake up the ground of all my traditions. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is If you are here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible said if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose again on the third day, you shall be saved. But there has to be a declaration of that faith. Yes. And you're saved by grace through faith. And if that's you and you want to pray a prayer that will welcome the Holy Spirit into your life to begin a new life, to begin a new way of living, then I'm going to ask you, I'm going to count to three again, just so we know we move together. And just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Will you pray with me? In fact, we will send somebody to you to pray with you to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. We'll make it very intimate. And you don't have to worry. We're not going to paint a dot on your forehead or, or send you out to the airport to sell flowers. No. But we do want to follow up on you. We do want to make sure that you have a Bible. We do want to make sure that that you are growing in the Lord and we want to be your church family. So if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to dedicate your life to Him, I want you to, at the count of three, just raise your hand and say, that's me. One, two, three, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. Keep your hands up, keep your hands up so I can have somebody come to you. You got, brother, come here. Sis, come with them, right here. Right here. Up the aisle. Somebody with this gentleman. Hey, Dad, right here. Oh, Pastor Dad. Well, you repeat the prayer after me right now. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again on the third day. I believe you rose again on the third day. And I believe you're coming again. And I believe you're coming again. Come into my life. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Take away my sin. Take away my sin. Send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit. To live with inside of me. To live inside of me. To guide me and lead me. To guide me and lead me. And I will follow him. And I will follow you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, in the same manner, those of you that say, Randy, I want to pray for revival. I don't want you to sing it. I want you to pray for it. Holy Spirit, right now, would you just send a greater anointing? Yes, Lord. All over the room, just asking for a greater anointing. A greater anointing. Somebody call the name of the high school out in the junior high. Thank you. Begin to ask him for creative ways to reach the generation. In fact... Begin to pray over the celebration that you're going to have this afternoon that you'll be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone that comes for the inflatables and somebody that comes for the food. Just begin to pray for it right now. Come on, church. Begin to pray right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
Lord, may the love of God pour out of this church. Now begin to pray for the love of God, a fresh infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, the love of God, that this afternoon, that we would love our community like we've never loved it before. That we would volunteer for ministry because it's the love of God that will reach the lost. In the name of Jesus. Now I just want you to worship him. And I want you to sing this song. Make it your prayer. Lord, your way is better. Your way is better. In the name of Jesus. Now sing it. Come on, guys. Come on. Shake up the ground of all my traditions. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. Shake it up, Lord. Shake up the ground. Let's go out of here saying that, all right? This isn't the end, this is just the beginning. How many appreciated that message today? Thank you, Brother Randy. I know it encouraged me. I hope it encouraged you. And tonight, everything starts at 6. If you're willing and able, we'd love to see you come back. We'll even put you... Let you help, let you help us. <laughs> Come on back. Uh, Six o'clock to eight o'clock are all the activities, and then at eight we're going to show a movie in here. The name shall go un, unnamed, but it's a good one. It's new for the kids. Uh, it's safe, but they'll they'll like it. I just can't say the name. Legally, we can show it. I can't say the name. So anyhow, love you. Go out of here. Be the light. Amen. God bless.